In his book, The Wretched of the Earth, the psychiatrist and anti-colonial writer, Franz Fanon, writes about a man who came to the psychiatric hospital in Algiers where Fanon was working at the time to ask for help. The man in his 30s, writes Fanon, was a patriot who fought in the resistance of one of the African countries which had been independent for several years. Each year, around a certain date, he suffered from prolonged insomnia, accompanied by anxiety and suicidal obsessions. The critical date was that on which he received instructions from his organization to place a bomb somewhere. Ten people had been killed as a result. Some months following his country's independence, he had made the acquaintance of some Europeans, and he had found them very likable. These men and women greeted the new independent state warmly and paid tribute to the courage of the patriots who had fought for freedom. The former militant, therefore, had what might be called an attack of vertigo. He wondered with a feeling of anguish whether among the victims of the bomb there had been people like his new friends. It was true that the targeted cafe was a meeting place for notorious racists, but there was nothing to prevent an ordinary passerby from going in for a drink. From the first day that he suffered from vertigo, the man tried to avoid thinking of this incident. Paradoxically, a few days before the crucial date, the first symptoms appeared. After that, they reappeared with great regularity. This militant, who never for a single moment had regretful thoughts of his past action, realized very clearly the manner in which he himself had to pay the price of national independence. It is borderline cases such as his which raise the question of responsibility within the revolutionary framework. In other words, we are forever pursued by our actions, their ordering, their circumstances, and their motivation may perfectly well come to be profoundly modified retrospectively. This is merely one of the traps of history, but can we escape becoming dizzy? And who can affirm that vertigo does not haunt the hall of existence? Vertiginous, a radio play by Denny Gall. Part 2, Abdallah. On May 8, 1945, when Nazi Germany surrendered to the Allied forces, tens of thousands of Algerians from the cities of Satif, Guelma, and Kereta took to the streets to peacefully celebrate the end of World War II. When they raised their Algerian flag, claiming independence from colonial rule, the French police responded violently and started shooting at unarmed demonstrators. This wave of Algerian nationalism and a demand for independence was followed by the French colonial authorities' refusal to consider a proclamation of independence submitted by Algerian nationalists 
in 1943. The document claimed that since Algerian soldiers were fighting Nazism in Europe alongside the Allies, they now demand the creation of an Algerian state in which both the French and Jews would be welcome to stay. Back in France, de Gaulle gave a direct order to the French forces in Algeria to suppress any local incitement that might arise while the French were fighting Hitler. In the days following May 8, 1945, the colonial forces and their civilian settler militia carried out mass killings of unarmed civilians, including women and children. Reprisal attacks by Algerian peasants using farm tools and knives left about a hundred Europeans dead. In response, colonial forces launched a massive air and ground offensive against several northeastern Algerian cities, dropping over 40 tons of bombs. According to the European historians, 15 to 20,000 people were killed in the Satif, Guelma, and Kereta massacres. According to the Algerian state, the numbers reached 45,000. As the horrors of the Holocaust in Europe were being revealed and the mass graves were being discovered, the French army in Algeria was using quicklime to disfigure their victims' bodies beyond recognition after dumping them into freshly dug mass graves. Even though it took another nine years for the Algerian War of Independence to begin in 1954, the massacre of May 8, 1945, marks the zero hour of the Algerian War and is one of the high turning points in colonial history. Among the many Algerian soldiers who fought in the French army against the Nazis, was a soldier who had also been a circus acrobat. All we know about him is that he died in a prison camp during the Allied bombing of Germany, that he had a German wife, and that he had a son named Abdallah. As a kid growing up in Paris, Abdallah Bentaga worked in the circus. From an early age, his dream was to become a tightrope walker, just like his father. Abdallah's job was primarily to train the horses and clean the animals' stalls. In exchange, he was given food, shelter, and was trained by the head of the troop. Being half Algerian and half German, or mulatto, as they used to call it back then, Abdallah never felt he belonged. The atmosphere of suspicion in France leading to the Algerian war did not contribute to his sense of belonging, especially when he was occasionally picked up by the police just for looking like an Arab. In 1955, 
Abdallah met the writer Jean Genet. The famous 45-year-old writer was fascinated by the 18-year-old acrobat after seeing him in the circus and seduced him by showering him with the attention he had never received from his father, who had died when he was very young. This love affair which Genet later described as one of the most meaningful in his life cannot be separated from the French writer's long relationship with the Arab world. During the colonial period, sexual tourism was very popular in North Africa, especially among a number of known European writers. While Genet can be seen as partaking in the trend of erotic fascination with the exotic other, his position differentiated him from other sexual tourists. His first encounters and sexual experiences in North Africa and the Middle East were in the late 1920s when he had served in the French army. Shortly afterwards, Genet was dishonorably discharged for being a homosexual. Additionally, for a soldier, Genet was uncommonly aware of his role as a representative of an oppressive colonial power. As Genet developed his political consciousness, his solidarity with the oppressed was always intertwined with a cross-racial desire. When asked about his activities with the Black Panthers and the Palestinian people in the 1960s, he answered, these two groups have a very strong erotic charge for me. Seeing the potential in Abdallah, Genet decided to devote himself to making Abdallah's dream come true, to be a famous tightrope walker, or rich men of the skies, as they used to call it in Germany. In order to pay for Abdallah's training, he sold a script he had written titled Forbidden Dreams, or The Other Side of the Dream. Genet knew everybody in Paris. One of his closest friends was the writer Monique Lange, who later became very close to Abdallah. At the time, she was living with the writer Juan Goitisolo, one of Spain's most important writers at the end of the 20th century. Goitisolo was exiled from his native Spain for expressing strong opposition to Franco's dictatorship. Goitisolo recounts the first time he saw Genet with his young lover. One day, Genet reappears on the Rue Poissonnière with a youth in his 20s. His very seductive face reveals a harmonious blend of feminine and manly features. He has a gentle voice, a gracious, elegant manner, and always speaks with great delicacy. Their relationship is like father to son. Abdallah was so important to Genet that in 1956, he wrote a poem dedicated to his circus artist lover. In one verse in the poem, titled, The Tightrope Walker, 
Genet describes what he found as he was casually rifting through Abdullah's personal things. This moment not only reveals the nature of the relationship between the older writer and Abdullah, but also gives what is maybe the only glimpse into the inner life of the half-literate young acrobat. I would not be surprised when you walk on the earth if you fall and sprain something. The wire will carry you better, more surely than a road. Nonchalantly, I open his wallet and leaf through it. Among old photos, pay stubs, expired bus tickets, I find a folded piece of paper on which he has drawn curious signs. A straight line, which represents the wire, with slanting marks to the right and left. Those are his feet, or rather the place his feet would take. It is the steps he will take. And opposite each mark, a number. Because he works to bring rigors, quantitative discipline, to an art that had been subject only to a haphazard and empirical training, he will conquer. What do I care, then, if he knows how to read or not? He knows figures well enough to measure the rhythms and numbers. In 1957, at the height of the Algerian War, Abdallah was drafted to serve in the French army. The colonial army needed to deploy more soldiers to pacify, as they called it, the urban guerrilla attacks carried out by the National Liberation Front, the FLN, during the Battle of Algiers. Genet, now an outspoken dissident of the war, convinced Abdallah not to join the people who were firing at his father's people. Abdallah deserted. His desertion from the army was part of a large movement among the French left at the time. It was led by the Janson network. The Janson Network was a group of left-wing French militants who actively supported the FLN and persuaded French soldiers to defect. The movement was named after Francis Janson, a political activist and a friend of Genet. As a result of Abdallah's desertion, the two had to leave France. Abdallah was excited to adapt Genet's nomadic lifestyle as they moved between Germany, Austria, Holland, and Greece. Abdallah sent Monique Lange letters and postcards from their travels. Monique recalls. He could only write phonetically, but he wrote me beautiful letters. He was so happy. After searching for a high-wire instructor for Abdullah, Genet concluded no one was suitable for the job and decided he would train Abdullah himself. Genet devoted himself entirely to the task, knowing nothing about high-wire artistry. Genet was a very strict teacher and controlled every aspect of the training. He also designed Abdullah's costumes, Halloween-style bodysuits covered with gold sequins, and he decided on his makeup, a white mask. 
I tell him about Camilla Meyer, but I also want to tell him who that splendid Mexican was, Con Coliano, and how he danced. Camilla Meyer was a German woman. When I saw her, she was about 40 years old. In Marseille, she had set up her wire 30 meters above the pavement in the courtyard of the Vieux-Port. It was night. Spotlights lit up the horizontal wire 30 meters high. To reach it, she climbed up on a slanting wire 200 meters long that started at the ground. Arriving halfway up the slope to rest, she put one knee on the wire and kept the balancing pole on her thigh. Her son, who was about 16, who was waiting for her on a little platform, brought a chair to the middle of the wire and Camilla Meyer, who was coming from the other side, arrived at the horizontal wire. She took this chair, which rested on the wire with only two of its feet, and she sat down on it, alone. She came down from it, alone, below, beneath her. All heads were lowered, hands hiding their eyes. Thus the audience refused this politeness to the acrobat, to make the effort to look steadily at her when she brushes with death. If you fall, you will deserve the most conventional funeral oration, puddle of gold and blood, pool where the setting sun. You should expect nothing else. The circus is all convention. Juan Goitisolo recalls the time he and Monique Lange watched Abdullah practice in Amsterdam. He climbs up to the wire, stretched between the two posts, and begins to sway with an unreal agility and lightness. His feet hardly touch the rope while he shakes to a calypso rhythm, about two meters above ground. When he reaches the moment of the lethal jump, we all hold our breath contemplating his incredible defiance of the law of gravity. Genet hides his Pygmalion's pride and says that Abdallah has improved, but the act is not ready. When noticing his tense concentration, the sweat bathing his forehead, and the fragility of his beautiful smile, Goiti Salah thought, Abdallah devoted himself to please Genet and put his life at risk by dancing on the wire, without a safety net or a harness. In the spring of 1959, while performing in Belgium, Abdallah fell. His knee was badly injured. After two surgeries and a period of recovery, he managed to get back on his feet and started training again. After successfully auditioning for the famous Italian Orfei Circus in Amsterdam, Abdallah was accepted and later that year joined them on tour. While performing a somersault on a tightrope in a show in Kuwait, Abdallah fell again. From the letter he wrote to Genet, it was clear that he would no longer be able to dance on the wire. His knee was too damaged. 
After a third surgery, Abdullah made a partial recovery and Jinay got him back into a rigid training program, this time in Palermo. However, the two were disillusioned. Abdullah would not be able to perform somersault on the wire again. Their relationship started to deteriorate. Jinay kept on looking after Abdullah. He also supported Abdullah's disabled mother by paying her rent. But by 1960, Jeanne was already emotionally gravitating toward another young man, a 20-year-old rebel named Jackie. Jackie was a thief. Jean Genet, who was abandoned by his mother, a sex worker named Camilla, grew up in an orphanage. As a young man, he was involved in incidents of petty theft and was in and out of prison for several years. He saw something of himself in Jackie. Because Jackie stole cars, Genet thought that making him a race car driver would rehabilitate him from a life of crime. Instead of training Abdullah to be the world's greatest tightrope walker, Jeanne's energy was now focused on training Jackie to master yet another deadly art form. Abdullah knew he was no longer Jeanne's golden boy, yet he was still emotionally and financially dependent on him. Out of frustration, Jeanne tried to make him Jackie's errand boy. At one point, Jeanne even thought that Abdullah should become Jackie's trainer. When these plans didn't turn out well, Jeanne encouraged Abdullah to travel to the Far East. He hoped that Abdullah would escape his terrible reality and maybe in China he would learn some other kind of acrobatics. But there was a problem. Abdullah was a deserter. He could no longer use his French passport. Genet contacted another one of his prominent friends, the lawyer Jacques Vergès, known as the Devil's Advocate. Vergès was an outspoken radical lawyer known for defending FLN militants who fought colonial France. Because he signed the 121 Manifesto, an open letter calling for France to recognize the Algerian war as a legitimate struggle, Vergès left France and was living in Morocco. Abdallah was issued a Moroccan passport and decided to go to Japan. To pay for the flight, Genet gave him a painting by his close friend Giacometti and told him to sell it. Abdallah returned in 1962 and knew that he would never work in the circus again. He blamed Genet for his misfortune. Goitisolo was one of the only people in Genet's circle to notice the destructive nature of their relationship. The life he knew and appreciated before meeting Genet had lost all attraction for him. He had deserted not only the army, but everything that usually satisfied the common individual. 
routine, work, hobbies, friends, the family circle. His moral and emotional surrender to Genet was a journey with no return, a burning of bridges, a scorched earth policy. On February 27, 1964, Abdallah came to the offices of Gallimard Books where Monique Lange was working. I will never forget that day. He was standing outside the office. He refused to enter. He asked me for a box of Nebutal, the sleeping pills I was always buying for Jean. After a short pause, Monique said regrettably that You see, for almost 15 years, I was Jean's slave. I was looking after his health, his boyfriends, writing his letters, buying his cigarettes and pills, making him food. So when Abdallah said that Jean needed the pills, I gave them to him. Abdallah took the box of Nambutel went back to his apartment, took the phone off the hook, swallowed a large amount of pills, and slit his wrists. Death, the death of which I speak to you, is not the one that will follow your fall but the one that precedes your appearance on the wire. It is before climbing onto it that you die. The one who dances will be dead-bent on every beauty, capable of them all. When you appear, a pallor, no, I'm not speaking of fear, but of its opposite, of an invincible audacity, a pallor will cover you. Despite your makeup and your sequence, you will be pale, your soul livid. It took almost two weeks until the landlady discovered the body in the attic of Abdallah's Paris apartment. She called the police and Genet, who brought Monique with him. When we arrived at the apartment, the smell was horrible. The body was surrounded with Genet's books, soaked in blood. When we went to the morgue, we saw that the poisoning from the Nambutal had blackened Abdallah's face. Genet said tearfully, he is black, he returned to his roots, he returned to Africa. Genet kept on paying the rent for Abdallah's grave for 22 years, but forgot to renew the lease as the law in France requires. In 1986, The same year Jean Genet was buried in Morocco, Abdallah's body was dug up from a grave in a small Muslim cemetery in Paris and dumped into a mass grave. Vertiginous, a radio play by Denegal. Part two, Abdallah. Written and directed by Denis Gall. Narrated 
by David Woodall, with Alexei Koryolov, Alex Martin, and Eva Palachenska. Produced, Jean Drach. Assistant producer, Livia Heiss. Podcast production of Oh Wow. Music and archive material, Denny Gall. Commissioned by Ruth Andervelt, Sergio Edelstein, and Leonhard Grond. As part of their project on certain groundlessness in the framework of navigating dizziness together, supported by the Austrian Science Fund's FWF Peak AR 598, hosted by Central Focus Forschung at the University of Applied Arts, Vienna. Vienna, 2022.